Welcome to Believe in Arkansas, where we believe free people are capable of extraordinary things. Now, here is the host of Believe in Arkansas, Ryan Norris. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Ryan Norris with Believe in Arkansas, where we believe that free people are capable of extraordinary things. For those of you who are listening and are not very familiar with Americans for Prosperity Arkansas, you know, we're citizen-led Americans who are trying to work towards realizing the full potential of our country. That's really what we're about, with an mission to empower every American to pursue their version of the American dream. And on the topic today, we're talking about people and we're talking about their their dream, their dream and their career of teaching. And the reason this is important is that for Americans for Prosperity, one of the key principles that we follow is dignity. You know, that deep belief in and respect for the inherent worth of every person. And right now, teachers, they seem to be under under a lot of stress. They're under, a, a, you know, some would even say attack uh, that people have different perspectives and views about about teachers and, and their role in our society. But they're individuals, they're humans, they have feelings, they have dreams, ambitions, and goals. And sometimes public policy can can complicate that. But today, what we want to do is we want to talk about how there are supports out there for teachers. So today, we are ex- excited to have our guest, Kareem Farah, Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder of Modern Classroom Project. Just before we hop over to uh, learning from his expertise, some things I would like to highlight. You know, In the research that I found regarding teacher burnout and mass resignations, what we're seeing is that a study done in 2022 by the National Education Association said 55% of educators said they were thinking about leaving the profession. And when you're looking at Arkansas with 32,666 certified teachers, that's a lot of people who are contemplating moving into another uh, career. And many of them cite being over overworked, that their workload has increased. Uh, 80% said spending more time addressing students' mental health uh, 71% said spending more time, more of their own money on classroom materials was was a difficulty. And then just more and more, they're feeling less fulfilled in their role. So, Kareem, thank you very much for joining us here in Believe in Arkansas. And I know you have a fir- front row seat to teachers and to what's frustrating them. So let's just start off there. You know, tell us a little bit about your founding journey, because I know you designed something to try to help these teachers out. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. So I, uh, I'm the co-founder and CEO of the Modern Classrooms Project. I was a teacher um, turned founder and CEO. So I left the classroom in 2019, actually. Um, and essentially, we were educators, much like the educators across the country right now, um, who are extremely burnt out and frustrated with our inability to meet students' needs effectively. I think when you take a look at the teaching profession at, at the face and just say, what what is what is the task at hand? The task at hand is to welcome a bunch of fabulous, diverse in their academic and social emotional needs students into your classroom every single day and figure out how to meet their needs, move them across a continuum of mastery and support them socially emotionally as they're navigating potential crises. In many ways, that's an unconquerable task. It's an extremely difficult task. And I think what we're seeing post-pandemic or you know, in this kind of era as we're transitioning out of the pandemic is that educators... Um, are supporting students with an even more diverse academic and social emotional needs. When we were experiencing these challenges in our classroom in in 
2016, 2017, 2018, we were frustrated because we felt like we didn't actually have an instructional approach that set us up for success. You know, we were still teaching, much like most educators across the country, using a traditional one-size-fits-all format of instruction. Stand at the front of the room, deliver a lecture, students take notes, you give them an assignment, then you give them an exit ticket at the end of class, then you go to the next lesson the next day. The reality is that instructional model that most educators are equipped with um, isn't actually designed to meet high diversity of learning levels and social emotional needs. So we built our own approach essentially in our classroom. We said, look, traditional models of instruction don't work. Let's try something different. And our model is, is what I call evolutionary, not revolutionary. We essentially eliminated live lectures, which are you know us standing at the front of the room delivering lectures to students. Um, and we replaced them with little videos that we created ourselves. Then we let students work at their own pace with any unit of study. Um, and then we allowed students to get graded for mastery. So students wouldn't transition from one lesson to the next based on day of the week, but instead based on mastery. Um, the model really worked in our classrooms in DC public schools. We founded the organization in 2018 to train other educators across the country and the world. And today we have a free course, a virtual mentorship program, and have put over 50,000 teachers through our free course and um, well over 7,000 through our virtual mentorship program and partner with schools, districts, states, and local philanthropists. So that's the kind of background on, on us. And in many ways, our model was built out of out of us feeling burnt out mm-hmm. that we weren't equipped with something that worked for students and needed to find a, a solution. Right. You know, I, I have two teachers in my family and they do talk about how part of what they feel like they do is take the impossible and move it to improbable, you know, and they feel really good about that uh, because sometimes deviations, and this isn't necessarily them, but from other teachers I've heard that even just small deviations away from curriculum to try to improve the mastery for the student can result in, uh, you know, disciplines at times be like, hey, look, this, this is what we have to do by maybe by law or by rule and regulation. This is what we have to do. And they get a little frustrated about that. Yeah, I mean, I think the reality is people need to honor and respect just how challenging the teaching profession is and just how messy it is. Like the task at hand is really messy. You're not going into a big corporate office with, you know, desks and and rows and stuff like that, where you can just kind of follow a very specific schedule. You're working with students. They have such unique needs. Every day looks different. And a lot of times educators feel trapped and frustrated. And that's where some of that burnout is where, you know, you, you see a pandemic pass and then you welcome a new group of students with such unique needs that are so mm-hmm. different it's very hard to kind of operate in a very rigid framework. Like educators need to be equipped with the tools, the resources, and instructional approaches to make live decisions that are best for students. And that can be tough, certainly in the current environment. Right. You know, I've said this to folks before that we're we're at AFP, we're proponents of education choice, education freedom, but there there is not enough conversation being had currently, though I would like to elevate that, about the freedom that the teachers need in the classroom, the trust that we need to give them as educators to adapt to the student that is in front of them and help them obtain that mastery. Just for clarification for the audience that may not have come across the concept before, could you give us a little bit of a a definition for mastery? What do we mean by that? Yeah, I mean, I think in simple terms, if you go back into history and anyone listening, how they learn in school systems and how most teachers think about um, classroom being run and how students experience the learning experience. Generally speaking, you don't progress from one skill to the next based on you actually understanding that skill. You usually progress based on time. Mm-hmm. So it's Tuesday, you learn lesson three. Tomorrow, we're just going to learn lesson four. It doesn't matter how well you understood that skill because it's a different day of the week, we move forward. We obviously know, just logically speaking, intuitively, that's not a particularly effective way. 
to design a learning experience. Obviously, that's going to lead to an enormous amount of students who don't actually understand skills, but then are being progressed to the next one. A lot of times, the previous skill is a prerequisite to the next skill. Um, and that's a destructive structure, right, where you are you start to expand kind of the gaps in, in understanding in students. You start to see students, you know, decline in their own self-worth and belief in their own potential in classrooms because they perpetually are being rushed through skills they don't understand. Right. So mastery-based grading is a very simple concept, also known as competency-based grading, that says Students are assessed on whether or not they actually understood the skill and they progress based on their understanding of the skill and not time or day of the week. And I, from those that I have talked to that that very much teach in kind of this vein and, and are proponents of this vein of mastery or compensating base, uh, something that, that they highlight often is that uh, people learn at different rates and they learn at different rates at different times in life. And so there isn't a stigma associated to keeping up with a pack it is literally focusing in on that student and helping them learn at the at the speed that they're at um and so i I like to highlight that because some folks are like well what happens if we let them these get ahead and they feel better and superior and all that teachers are equipped to handle those kind of uh management issues within within a classroom well, and it's actually a core element of our instructional model, right? So our instructional model actually creates those guardrails. Because if tomorrow you welcomed 105th graders into a classroom and then you said you're going to self-pace and you're going to be assessed on mastery for the next you know, 10 months, that's a lot of freedom to give a group of fifth graders and not a lot of guardrails, not a lot of structure. So I think one of the hardest parts about rolling out instructional delivery models like ours, where you are introducing self-pacing, student-centered instruction, and mastery-based grading, is you have to know how to run the classroom in a way that creates these clear guardrails, that creates the structures for students to collaborate, that creates the structures for students to feel motivated and supported. That's a key part of our model. So for example, in our classroom, students tend to only self-pace one unit at a time, right? So for 10 skills, they're going to self-pace and be assessed on mastery as opposed to saying, you know, you're tackling all these skills over the course of the year on your own. See, and I like that. So that's kind of what is unique from the traditional grade level kind of approach is that you're you're having this mastery uh, for each individual student, but you're managing that in such a way that everybody still feels included in the classroom and uh, and doesn't feel like there's hierarchies be, being uh, being created there. So right. I very much preach it because, you know, again, you know, I have friends who have uh, ex- have told me their story, their education journey. And sometimes their education journey, there was something that kind of uh, off, I don't want to say off ramped. Uh, sometimes that could be what happened to some of them, but some of the things that created barriers is the emotional component of not being able to keep up with their peers at times. Mm-hmm. And that being pushed into the next grade and into the next grade where they were still behind and hadn't mastered just continued to, to create uh you know, that negativity towards learning. Totally. I mean, I think what you see consistently among students is they're they're not tricked when you move them to the next lesson into thinking that they actually understood the skill if they didn't understand it, right? So, you know, the classic example is I was a high school math teacher. The percentage of students that said they hate math at the high school level was extraordinary. And you have to ask the question, why, why do students constantly say they hate math? Well, you could say it's all about the content, and there's plenty of critiques to be made about <laughs> the way that we teach math. But I think the primary driver is that a huge percentage of students have been pushed through skills, never actually understood it. So what is what the final outcome is, is I'm a student who associates math with failure. I'm associating math with I don't understand. 
Mm-hmm. Who likes things they don't understand in perpetuity? Who likes things that they perpetually fail at and aren't given the opportunity to actually execute against? I think that's the experience that a lot of students have in a variety of different subject areas. Um, and we're working to kind of create instructional models where every student experiences that kind of aha success moment of truly understanding a skill um, every single year, every single week, and every single unit. See, so, yeah, I love that idea because they're getting a child to, to catch a vision to own their education, to where it doesn't matter what others are doing around me. Have I improved myself little bit by little bit by little bit? I think is so important to creating those forever learners. Because, and as I have to tell my daughter who's in third grade, you you learn even after you leave school, (laughs) and you learn in places other than just the classroom. And it's important that students understand that. So they're not just compartmentalized that I'm going through this factory of education and they'll spit me out at the end and then life happens. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, another question is, you know, we kind of hit on a couple of these. There are many ways that, you know, you can, you can teach K through 12 education and you can share it and scale it. You know, what is this approach that modern classroom is taking and how is it different from the way things are kind of being done in the past? Yeah, I mean, I think the number one different, I mean, we obviously introduced a brand new model of teaching into the K-12 education system. That's very different than what usually you will see in classrooms. But I think arguably what's most interesting about the way we do our work is we don't believe in forcing our model on educators. We believe the most powerful way to scale powerful innovation is is to empower educators to choose to implement something like this. Um, We believe that educators are the number one experts in the room. They understand the ecosystem that they're managing. They understand their students best. And they are capable of making really good decisions about what professional learning and what instructional models they should be deploying in their classrooms. So when we partner, for example, with a school or a district, We don't walk in there and say we're training every single one of your teachers on this instructional approach. Instead, we say, hey, we'd love to be able to offer this to any educator in your school or district. Same thing when we partner with the state. Instead of saying, hey, every single teacher in the state of Arkansas tomorrow needs to learn the modern classrooms approach, we say, hey, let's make sure that any teacher in Arkansas who wants to learn this instructional model can. And that's a very different way to think about um, innovation. A lot of innovation in K-12 education is a top-down, high accountability model. Um, But the truth of the matter is we have a really, really diverse uh, teaching population in ability levels in particular, right, where we have folks that are brand new to the profession who don't have a ton of experience and then folks that are really, really experienced and seeking new innovative approaches and trying to apply a one-size-fits-all model to their own professional learning is equally as ridiculous as applying a one-size-fits-all approach to students, right? right? So we have to create that opportunity. So we like to describe ourselves as a model that's built around a movement of educators um, because we find that educators are the folks that we want to tap into. We want them to choose what's best for them from a professional uh, learning experience and they're the best people to share with their peers. Yeah, exactly. This Believe in Arkansas shout out goes to Lorenzo Lewis and our friends at the Confess Project, the first and largest organization committed to building a culture of mental health for young boys and men of color through barbershops across the country. Lorenzo is an Americans for Prosperity partner who informs our health care policy goals by identifying the policy barriers to mental health care services for all Arkansans. One in five people in the U.S. are affected by mental illness, and Black barbers play an essential role in bridging the gap between their communities and unmet mental health needs and mental health care. Learn more about the good work that Lorenzo and the Confess Project Barbers are doing in Arkansas 
and across the country by going to theconfessproject.com. That's theconfessproject.com. You know, you hit on something there talking about even a one-size approach to their education careers. I hear often that um, programs that the state may put in place for continuing education, professional development, usually are so nuanced that the teacher may not even find it valuable to the problems they're actually facing in a classroom. You know, you're trying to, lawmakers may pass something solving for X, but it's Q, R, B, and Z that are in in need in the school, and that those uh, professional development dollars aren't as flexible to to go into that, and that becomes a frustration. How frustration? How frustrating would that be? To where you're trying to learn how to, uh, you know, solve solve problems that are for a mechanic, but you're being taught how to do aerospace. You know, it, it sounds good, but that's not solving the problem that you're tasked with trying to solve for. Uh, so flexibility for our educators, even in, you know, identifying what they need and then getting them the resources for the things they actually need are very important. Totally. And and then if you go back to this, you know, what we started the conversation about really, which is uh, this idea of teacher burnout. I mean, one of the resources they have the least of is time. So let's not waste their time. Um, let's not put them into professional development sessions and things like that that are disconnected from the needs that they face every single day in their classrooms. And I think, you know, I was an educator for years. Um, we work with educators all the time. Every educator knows that a lot of professional development is not a great use of their time. It's really frustrating experience for them. And it's actually created a bad rap around professional learning. Right. That's that's I've experienced the same conversations. You know, I'm not a teacher. Uh, I'm a public policy guy. But as I go around talking to teachers about their frustrations, that has come up time and time again. Um, so that I think that that's a, a market signal for the people of Arkansas that, hey, let's take a look and make sure that we're aligning the resources to support our teachers for issues they're actually facing that make their job easier. Uh, that require less time of them, or at least the time that they invest in it will be valuable to them and make their jobs easier. So that's a, it's a brilliant point that you brought up there. Um, so how can educators and school leaders or district leaders learn more about your work, Green? Yeah, I mean, so we're a nonprofit. And one of the beauties about being a nonprofit is that you don't you don't put a paywall behind your resources. So one of the things that's most accessible to anyone across the country and the world is our free course, learn.modernclassrooms.org. Any educator anywhere in the world can log into that course. Leader, um, that can be state leader, district leader, can pop into that course and just learn our instructional model. Um, so that's the first place to go. Um, you can also obviously go to our website at modernclassrooms.org. Um, you know, if you're a school or a district leader or even a state leader that's looking to bring this model to your communities, we run our virtual mentorship program and we partner with schools, districts and states, over 100 of them across the country. But we actually have a structured program where we enroll large numbers of educators into a pretty robust training experience where we pair the educators who want to learn our model with educators who are experts at it and really train folks at scale. So that's the kind of second way to really think about it as well. So those are the two big ways that you know I encourage folks to, to consider and, and learn about our work. And then if you want to actually meet with someone on our team, on our website, you can just click work with us and, and fill out a form and, and we'll reach out shortly after. Very good. Well, in, in a previous response, you talked about you know, teachers' innovations. And we very much believe in that in, at AFP, innovation and entrepreneurship 
that each individual can bring to whatever it is that you're doing. It's not entrepreneurship doesn't just mean that you own a business, uh, your own business or something. It can mean that within the role that you're fulfilling, what are the unique ways you own that role to produce the outcomes that you're trying to produce? And teachers are some of our most innovative people that we have in our society. And why does it seem that innovation hasn't moved as quickly in the K through 12 education space from your perspective? From my perspective, it's because innovation usually follows leaders, not teachers. Like you said, the most innovative people in our K-12 education system are the teachers. They're not always empowered to innovate. Um, and they're also rarely given the freedom to innovate in the ways that we need them to, or given the spotlight to scale their innovation. Um, so I think one of the biggest challenges we see consistently is that a lot of the innovation gets built in a boardroom or back office and then is told to educators. And educators kind of hear it and go, what are you talking about? That's not going to work for me. That's not going to work for my students. That's not going to work in my community. And then we wonder why things stall so frequently. You know, when you go into schools and districts today, it's generally very common um, that teachers perceive uh, the new things that are rolled out as sort of uh, these will be around for a week or two, maybe a year, and then they'll be gone. So I think one of the number one ways that you can ensure that uh, innovation sticks is when you actually empower educators with that uh, decision-making power around innovation. See, I love that, the empower component, because a lot of teachers talk about that top-down and some of this, again, inherited systems that have been cobbled together over the last hundred plus years. Uh, but as we move into a culture and economy that has flexibility to where we can rapidly respond to where knowledge is so diffused that great ideas come together in unique and random ways, but it become very valuable um, quickly. I think the same thing needs to be allowed by our teachers, empower them to do the job that they're passionate about. Allow them to to have some the autonomy within their classes to teach to that curriculum uh, mastery and competency, incentivizing innovations that that work, and then scaling the best of those innovations and just sharing those out. There's no best way to educate every single student, so we're going to need to rely on a community of educators to come up with the solutions is kind of what I'm, I'm, I'm starting to land on as I research more and more. Absolutely. That's why we're building a movement of educators. They're the, they're the drivers. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you all for, uh, for being a part of the audience here at Americans for Prosperity's Believe in Arkansas. To connect with us more, you can go to Instagram at AFP-Arkansas. On Twitter, we're at AFP-Arkansas. And on Facebook, you can go to at Americans for Prosperity-Arkansas and find us there. Uh, also, uh, if you would like to voice your opinion, we are a citizen-led organization and the policies we work on are policies that come directly from our citizens here in the state of Arkansas. If you go to ArkansasSpeaks.com, Com. That's ArkansasSpeaks.com. A short survey there about the policies you may be passionate about. And this will help inform us as we move out of the 2023 legislative session and look forward to the 2025 legislative session. Yes, we are already thinking two years ahead. Uh, but uh, Kareem, we thank you very much for being a part of Believe in Arkansas. And again, for our listeners, would you leave uh, just some ways that they can contact you or get a hold of more information on Modern Classroom Project? Yeah, absolutely. Just go ahead and go to modernclassrooms.org and you can uh, click on the work with us page. You can also reach out to me directly. Um, my email will pop up when you head to our website um, and click on my bio. So those are two easy ways. 
Wonderful. Well, Kareem, thank you so very much. And thank you everyone for listening again to Believe in Arkansas, where we believe that free people are capable of extraordinary things. Thank you for joining us for Believe in Arkansas, where we believe free people are capable of extraordinary things. If you believe in Arkansas and would like to help unlock our state's potential, go to www.believeinar.com to learn more and join the movement today.